live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and standing here with two of our dearest friends in ministry, in the Lord, brothers and sisters, the Bontempo family. <laughs> they're, missing, uh, they're missing their child. Uh, his name is Buster. He is home in... Wisconsin. Wisconsin, and uh, at Sturgeon Bay, enjoying the evening with Grandma, right? Correct. It's the only dog to ever appear on Heart of the Matter, uh, and it was a momentous event. But anyway, uh, the Bontempos are visiting uh, through the state again. We haven't seen them in a couple years, two and a half. Nancy, how's it been? Anything you want to say to the audience? Uh, God is our perfect provider, and we never have to fear anything. He's got it covered. And she lives that way. This woman is a woman of faith, truly. And here we have her husband, Dave. He's very short on words. Let's see what he has to say. All right. Jesus is the living God, and I'm a complete mess without him. But uh, praise God, uh, he holds everything together. Amen. Well, we love the Bon Tempos and everybody else who's family with Heart of the Matter. And God bless you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. You know, the the relationships you make in ministry, uh, they ebb and flow. People move. People get differences of opinions. Sometimes people get hurt. But it's a real blessing to have friends uh, and staff who have been uh, with us for so long. And so great to have the Bon Tempos here. Heart of the Matter is extending out further into the world uh, through efforts like those of a dedicated brother named Aaron Tunnell in Arizona. He's going to show us what I'm talking about right now. Hi, I'm Aaron Tunnell, and like many of you, I'm an ex-Mormon. I spent most of my life in the church, held many callings, and served a mission speaking Spanish in the Dominican Republic. But I left the church and came to Christ at the age of 32 in 2012. After I left the church, I started thinking about how I could help LDS people to know more about the church and traditional Christianity. Living in Arizona and Mexico, I had kept up pretty well with my Spanish over the years, so I started talking to some Latin Americans about the church in Spanish, I figured my efforts might be well spent in trying to clean up the mess that I had made as a Spanish-speaking missionary so many years ago. It took me about five minutes to realize that there are very few resources in foreign languages to confront the church with. There are no historical documents, really, no journal of discourses, no questionable quotes from leaders, and no targeted doctrinal challenges. The church takes extreme care and works tirelessly to present a perfectly uniform, one-sided perspective of its history and its doctrines. The church will not translate anything that it finds to be challenging, especially its own true history and its uh, older and original publications. There are a few personal blogs out there, a podcast or two, and a couple of YouTube videos. The best information right now is actually coming from Joel Grote's team over at IRR.org. It has some excellent uh, short articles on the historical and doctrinal claims of Mormonism in the Spanish language. But really, this just isn't enough. The church has had its sights on Latin America for years now, and it's virtually uncontested down there. What we really need is a Spanish version of mormonthink.com and a Spanish heart of the matter. So I contacted Sean McCraney and also a good friend from Mexico, Efren Casillas, who's a web designer, and we launched into this project a few months ago. Uh, We've been working full throttle on creating a duplicate uh, Spanish web page of mormonthink.com at the website mormonesparajesus.com. We're doing this in conjunction with dubbing Heart of the Matter in Spanish and potentially other languages too. It's my opinion and that of others that these specific tools, these two compact and powerful tools, Mormon Think and Heart of the Matter, are the most efficient at helping LDS learn the difficult issues uh, in Mormonism and find the answers they need in Christianity. We're working hard on developing these resources. We've managed to translate about half of the Mormon Think website and we're at about 25 episodes or 7% of the Heart of the Matter series. Uh, These episodes are currently available on our YouTube page and soon we should have direct links to them on the Heart of the Matter HOTM.TV website. Originally I had anticipated being able to simply dub the episodes on the fly without any preparation uh, and I thought I could get through the whole series of Heart of the Matter this way in about six six months or so. But after doing a few it became very apparent that we would really need to do this the right way. Even though it would take longer, a more professional approach would have a better impact. 
So we began transcribing the text of the episodes, which then allows us to have documents that we can translate later into any language and then dub the shows with these, starting with uh, Spanish. So this is where we actually need help. If you've been looking for a way uh, to help and talk to LDS people, but you don't really know how, then this is a good place where we need it. Uh, we need people who can get into the archives, the old shows with us, and just type out each week's message. This is an enormous undertaking trying to translate this, and we really need all hands on deck. For years, the church has been sending missionaries into foreign lands. People like you and I sacrificed thousands of dollars, learned a foreign language, and spent two years of our lives spreading this false gospel in places that are just unprepared for that. We created an ecclesiastical mess. And so later on, we came to find out the truth about the church and the destruction that it causes. And are we willing to go clean up that mess? If we're not going to do it, who is? So here's our contact information. If you can help with this, please let us know. We need your help. You don't have to speak a foreign language at all. You just need to be willing to go through these old episodes and, and type them out. And if you can translate, that's a bonus. So send us a message, and we'll definitely put you to work. Praise God for Aaron and his heart. Uh, similar to the guy, Andrew, in Norway, who took heart of the matter and put them all on YouTube years ago. And uh, it just bears fruit. So grateful for his work. Listen, uh, if you are led of the Spirit and can help Aaron build his ministry, please contact him. I think we have contact graphic for Aaron. Uh, in fact, let me extend an invitation to, to any of you who speak any language. I mean, if you speak German and you can translate German, contact Aaron. Hear the... Hear how he's a very smart guy. Hear how he has uh, set these things up. And uh, maybe we can just proceed forward in other languages as well. That being said, I want to reiterate something, reiterate something very, very important to me. Uh, is I am not against uh, LDS individuals. I'm hard on them, yes. Very hard. Especially when they try to pull fast ones here on the show. But uh, in the end, I do love them. In fact, I love people of all beliefs. Um, but it's the Mormon machine, it's the institution, it's the zeitgeist or spirit of Mormonism uh, that I deplore. It causes uh, me blood to boil. And, um, and not the individuals, not the flesh and blood. Please don't get these lines crossed when it comes to this ministry. Quite frankly, and as I think most of you have probably figured out by now, I have an equal amount of disdain for most religious institutions. Um, including uh, corporate American evangelicalism. But again, I hold no animus against my brothers and sisters uh, who are in the body of Christ at all. They're trapped and controlled by these archies, and, uh, and uh, they're only doing their best based on what the culture is demanding. So if led, feel free to join in our war against these principalities, these powers, these rulers of darkness uh, of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. But no, we do love people trapped and held captive along the way. I think that's the call. Hate the institution, love the institutionalized. Uh, uh, even those who we think should be institutionalized, uh, love the institutionalized, hate the institution. With that, how about a moment from the word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Have you ever thought that you are free or have been set free only to later discover that you have merely adopted a new prison cell? It's easy to do, and from what I've seen, it happens all the time. There are a lot of things out there in this fallen world that are aimed at taking each of us captive. And admittedly, some of them can seem liberating at first glance, but they only end up chaining us up all over again where Jesus has made us free. I think it takes something far stronger than a concerted personal effort to avoid such trappings because even our concerted personal efforts can become prison cells in and of themselves over time. In our Sunday milk gatherings here at campus, we have been covering John 4, where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. I believe it is in this setting that the Lord delivers some, maybe even the single most important set of passages in Scripture. You may disagree. There's a lot of, of course, great ones. But he says to the woman, the hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is so much to these two passages, it would be impossible because of time constraints to cover them now, but let me try to get to the heart of the matter, as it were. First, Jesus tells us that the Father who is spirit seeks for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Why would the Father desire this? I don't think, we mentioned this the other day, it's an ego trip on his part, and that he wants his creations to worship him because he needs it. I think he does it because it will simply protect us from religious bondage. If we're worshiping him in spirit and in truth, it's gonna be very difficult to worship anything else in error and uh, in flesh. Also note that Jesus does not say the Father seeks people to worship him in spirit, period. Uh, True worship of God can't come from truth alone either. It has to be a combination, the one-two punch of spirit and truth. Humankind has a long and varied history of attempting to worship God from the opposite position of spirit and truth, and that would be from flesh and in error. Spirit, truth, flesh, and error. From what I think Jesus is saying here is we can safely say that the Father does not seek people to worship him through these appeals, but just the opposite. In spirit, not the flesh, and in truth, not by false tradition or error. The Greek word used here for worship, by the way, is proskunio. And in every case in scripture, when it uses the word worship in the New Testament, it means one thing. This is what it means. To lay oneself out flat or to kneel before an object of adoration. Uh, Religiously, in Christianity, uh, it it means before God, if we're talking about to the Father. And then it could also mean proscunio before like a king or something, where you would lay yourself out. In a physical and fleshly sense, true worship would be people laying their bodies down. Okay, that's the physical sense. By the way, in the fleshly physical sense, worship is not singing. Worship is not lifting hands. It never has been. That's always known in scripture as praise. That's why they say we have our praise and worship now. So, so lifting hands and singing is praising God. Thank God we do that. But worship always means to lay oneself out. It's important, and I'll tell you why in a second. Physical worship, proscunio, always means kneeling, laying down. But notice that Jesus does not say the Father seeks those to worship him in a physical way and in truth. He doesn't seek for us to worship him by our flesh and in truth. He's not saying, kneel, you have to kneel physically before me, but he says, in spirit and in truth. So ask yourselves, what then does it look like to lay ourselves out, worship in or from our spirit? How do we do that? Because that's what God seeks. People in their spirit are laying themselves out. What did Jesus lay out in a spiritual sense in his worship of the Father? His will, his ways, his desires, his physical life, right? He was laid out in a tomb, wasn't he? Didn't he lay out everything before the Father and say, not my will, but yours be done? So contrary to what modern definitions and practices say, in my opinion, the best definition of worshiping God in spirit is that the Father who is spirit seeks those who will lay their will and life out flat before him. That it's, it's a dying to the self is true worship. That's the best definition in a spiritual sense of laying flat and kneeling before God and doing his will. But take note, laying our lives and will out is not enough. Many people the world over lay their lives out for God, but in total error even to the point of people throwing themselves on on burning pyres in India, uh, people hijacking planes full of people and flying them into uh, uh, buildings. That is uh, uh, worshiping God in that sense, but it's completely an error, so the worship itself means nothing. The submitted Christian life must be laid out in spirit and in truth. 
Following religious traditions does not necessarily mean people are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. In many cases, such worship is, as C.S. Lewis said, just people talking with borrowed voices. That's not worshiping in spirit and in truth. That's bondage to an inferior system, an inferior theology and philosophy. No, the Father seeks those who will lay their lives down first from the heart and always in the light of his truth. So we look for it, search for it, rip it up and down in the word in an effort to first comprehend his truths and then pursue them in spirit. The idea of this brought to us by Jesus' words to the woman at the well, takes us right into our topic tonight. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, uh, we do seek you, and we do seek honestly to worship you in spirit and in truth, nothing less. So guide us and protect us and, and, and mark the words and the things I say tonight, which will certainly have error and you, by your spirit and your word, correct these things as we move forward into this ministry, a new period of time. In Jesus' name, amen. I've decided to delay our comparison of five-point Calvinism to Mormonism uh, till next week. We're going to get to the you next week to really make a few things plain. We do this at times in the show. I've tentatively titled today's, tonight's program, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. But hearing it, I'm not so sure we were ever on the yellow brick road. So the title is probably a bad one. Maybe I should call the show tonight, Coming Out of the Closet. And no, it's not what you might think. Uh, please excuse a bit of self-focus here for a second. I don't know how to be anything except who I am. I used to try and was successful at fooling people when I was LDS by feigning characteristics that they would appreciate. And once I came to faith, however, God has brought me closer and closer to being comfortable with my heartfelt self. No, it is not what most people would consider traditional, but who I am and how I am is from my heart of hearts, like it or not. Well, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit back in 97 and after attending a school of ministry and learning the Bible, and uh, I was then equipped to live and express my thoughts doctrinally. It wasn't just outward expression then, it was now a doctrinal point of view. Here is where the coming out of the closet part comes into play. Much to the chagrin of my fellow evangelical brothers and sisters, I have always maintained ideas and even doctrines and theologies that many modern Christians have considered, uh, shall we say, unorthodox. This started way back when we first wrote the book, Born Again Mormon. And the title alone made some people very uncomfortable, uh, not thinking it was possible to be LDS and born again. And, and because it didn't conform to their ideas, not biblical ideas, but their ideas of who could be born again and who could not. Inside the front cover of that first edition of the book, I stated the mission of what our ministry was about. I stand by those same statements today. Let me show you what they are. There's just four of them. The first one says, to introduce Latter-day Saints to the God-given gift of spiritual rebirth through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's easy enough. Second, to assist born-again Mormons in their sacred mission of peacefully bringing other Latter-day Saints to the Lord. Third, to help born-again Mormons appreciate and support positive aspects of church membership while simultaneously but politely rejecting any doctrine or practice contrary to biblical truth and authentic Christian beliefs. And fourth, to patiently help initiate an integration of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints into the existing body of Christ. That has always been our objectives. I stated them years ago. Now, it doesn't mean we take Mormonism as it is. You've watched the show. I wouldn't stand for anyone saying Mormonism is Christian at this point, but that's the overall objective. That's the mission in those four points. The Christian apologists freaked when they read that. They wrote scathing blogs. 
The pastors in Utah worked very hard to keep my person from being involved in the church here by coming and doing a show. They tried very hard to stop it. But God had other plans, and by his grace, he allowed us to take this stance uh, toward the LDS and built his ministry. Well, over the years, we have tried really hard to unite with the local evangelical churches, but everything, um, when it's all said and done, they wouldn't have much to do with us. In seven years, that's a long time, we were invited to speak at no more than eight churches in the state. Received fi financial support intermittently from no more than five of them and participated in three church events that were not ours. To be honest, I think the pastors knew I am unorthodox, could perceive I did not interpret the Bible and life as they have, and collectively decided when considering my religious person that they could see that something was just not right with what they saw and heard on weekly television. And they were right. They're absolutely correct. Maybe my stance against the term tithing clued them in. Maybe it was my weekly get-ups or my use of words like shiitake mushrooms, effing, or idiot that uh, caused the general ban. Or maybe it was just my stance that Mormon people can be just as saved as Christian people that irk them the most. Whatever the reason, a ban was in place. I used to resent it tearfully. In fact, I used to, it used to hurt my heart because while I may not know how to be anything other than what I am. I certainly have a heart and continue to have a heart for the body here in the state of Utah. But looking back, I can see that the Lord has let me know in no uncertain terms that I never have belonged to American evangelicalism nor its churches in the first place. I belong to him, not with them. What does this mean? It means I seek and do his will the best I can. I care nothing for the will and ways of men, their power, their fame, or their fortune. I seek to worship him in spirit and in truth, and therefore read and study to show myself approved, discovering myself for what is biblical truth and what is not. Our objective in the ministry is to live up to the position he has put me in and prepared me for to reach the LDS and anyone else with biblical truth, no matter how controversial and difficult it is to hear. The last comment brings us to the precipice of an enormous impasse and adds to the imagery of my coming out of a closet tonight. Already built to question and take a more liberal road toward people relative to religion, and then placed in a position to reach the LDS with biblical truth, I have come to a place in my walk where there are a handful of doctrines that American evangelicals embrace, which I reject. This has already alienated me and the ministry from another of former Christian friends and even a number of media sources, but too damn bad. What are the issues, to name a few? Views on eschatology and end times. Calvinism, predestination, free will, and once saved, always saved. Teachings on the resurrection. Not Christ's resurrection, but ours. Ideas on the Trinity, established at Nicaea. Not that God, not that Jesus isn't God, not that there isn't one God. You'll hear me out in the future. The presence of miracles in churches today including speaking of tongues, raising the dead, the definition of worship, how to do church and tra the traditional notions on eternal punishment. How can I seek to honestly lead LDS people out from the chains of Joseph's gospel only to lead them right into Christian churches that are not much better? Can't do it. So while we are going to continue to focus on Mormonism, absolutely, as it relates to Christianity, we are going to additionally clarify through scripture how I believe and see the Bible uh, speaks to these aforementioned topics and more. Additionally, we are going to begin to appeal to outside resources that have been validated by our viewing them, looking at them and using them to help teach you perspectives that are not the doctrines and traditions and philosophies of men. For example, when it comes to the notion of God punishing people in fire forever and ever and ever without end, I believe in hell. I believe in a lake of fire. I believe there is judgment. But when it comes to that topic, consider the following short film.
Has anyone ever told you to fear God? Why? Uh, why should you fear God? Is it because his love, compassion, and mercy will come to an end? Is it because he might just say one day, enough is enough, I, I just can't take anymore, and, and now I'm gonna have to torture you endlessly just to show how good and righteous I am? Is that why we should fear God? When my firstborn son, Jonathan, was three or four years old, a man came over to our house to fix the furnace. My son did everything with me, so the three of us went down in the basement to look at the furnace. I remember Jonathan was standing next to me holding my hand as the repairman pulled the grill off the furnace and started checking the white hot flames that heated the house. I was occupied with questions about heating units and service calls. When I felt this tug on my shirt, I looked down to see my son in obvious distress. My little boy looked up at me, pointing at the furnace, and he said, what's that? I said, well, buddy, those are, the, those are the flames that heat the water so we can have hot water in our house. Well, that actually wasn't true. It was the furnace, not the water heater, but without thinking. That's what I said. Over the next few days, we noticed that John, who had been doing very well in the potty training department, started to have accidents. You know, wetting his pants, uh, pooing in his shorts. And then one night, he wouldn't take a bath. When I asked him why, he said, well, Daddy, the flames will come up and burn me. It took me a while to figure out what he was talking about. I said, oh, no, John, that's, that's not the way it works. But it was too late. Jonathan was imprisoned in a lie. Terror had imprisoned him in a lie. And believing the lie, he would hide in shame. And hide his shame, a pair of soiled Superman underwear. I'd go looking for him. Jonathan, buddy, where are you? John, what are you doing? Where are you? Finally, my wife and I sat down and we had a conversation. And we issued judgment. That night, when I could tell that Jonathan was loaded and needed to go, I went and grabbed him by the hand and I pulled him, kicking and screaming, down the hall to the bathroom. And yes, I held him. I held him. I held him to the flaming toilet of death. few times in my life have I witnessed such expressions of abject horror. And yet I held him, I held him there to the toilet of terror until the deed was done. You know, God can teach you things in the strangest places. As I held my son to that burning ring of fire, feeling such incredible compassion and frustration and hope all at once. I felt like God kind of whispered in my heart, hey, Peter, now do you get it? Now do you understand just a little of what it's like to be your daddy? You know, scripture says God disciplines those whom he loves. So he will literally hold us to the fire. Scripture also says that he is a consuming fire. He is love. He is fire. His love is the fire. In the words of the great theologian Karl Barth, he will burn us right down to faith. Scripture says our faith is tested like gold, gold that's refined by fire. As I held John to that toilet, the fear was very real. But you see, he was imprisoned in a lie. The lie was his own personal hell. So I held John to that toilet because I loved him. For John, however, my love felt like fire, fire that burned the hell right out of him. 
A fire that burned the lie right out of him. Well, imagine. Imagine if during that time, before Faith conquered the flaming toilet of death, while my son was hiding from me here in the closet, imagine if someone came along and gave him some counsel. John? John? John, why don't you come out of the closet? Come out here and I'll tell you a story about why you should fear your daddy. Now, Jonathan, you should fear your daddy because he's not gonna let you live in your own filth. As long as you keep pooing your pants, your daddy's gonna find you and he's gonna hold you down to the toilet. Now, there's nothing you can do to escape his discipline or hide from his judgment. If you're, say, 60 years old, living in a cave in Alaska somewhere, but still pooing your pants, your 87-year-old father's gonna hunt you down, find a toilet, and hold you to it. Fear him because he loves you, and his steadfast love, it's not gonna stop. Okay, champ? Good. Well, that would be a bit weird, but it would be accurate. But now, imagine if somebody else came along and gave my son this counsel. Now, John, you should fear your daddy because one day, his love's gonna end. Now, you'll say you're sorry, but it'll be too late. He'll have no more patience for you. And then he'll have to torture and torment you forever. Indeed, even as we speak, your, your father has other children, except he keeps these ones in the basement, near the flames, burning and torturing them until they die. But then he resurrects them and brings them back to torture them again and again and again. <laughs> It's like a living death, and it's gonna go on forever and ever and ever, and there's nothing you can do about it. His wrath endures because his mercy has come to an end. So fear your daddy, because one day, his love's gonna stop. Okay, champ? Great. Now go back into the closet and wait for your daddy to find you, okay? If someone said that to my son, I can't think of anything more damaging to him or anything more abhorrent to me. I mean, my son might stop pooing his pants, but he wouldn't trust me. He wouldn't love me. He'd honor me with his lips, but his heart would be far, far, far from me. But you know, stuff like that is what we religious leaders have often said to our folks about God, our Heavenly Father. And I understand it. If I want people to do what I say in order to get their acts together, that's the easiest thing to preach. Listen, you need to do what I tell you or God's patience may run out. He'll fry you and, and this will be your last chance. But what does that say about God? And do you remember who inspired the most wrath in Jesus? In the Old Testament through the prophet, God calls to Israel saying, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So should we fear God? Well, yeah, but, but not because his love comes to an end. In fact, it's just the opposite. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That line is repeated something like 84 times in scripture. And it's the apostle John that reveals God is love. So is there an eternal fire, a fire that never comes to an end? Yeah, God is eternal fire. God never comes to an end, and God is love. And yes, there is an outer darkness, 
There is a place where men and women weep and gnash their teeth. It's that place in which people who do not yet know Jesus hide from God, who is love. And that place is called hell. And yes, there is judgment, but God's judgment is his love. We can't hide from God's love forever. John is 24 now. I want you to know that perfect love, or pretty good love, has cast out fear. I mean, John will sit on the toilet for hours with, without fear. I haven't actually asked him, and, and he may have blocked the incident out of his mind, but I'm pretty sure that he's grateful that he no longer wears diapers. Um, see, back then, he was imprisoned in dirty diapers. He was imprisoned in fear. And so I wanted John to fear only me so that he would fear nothing else. And then fearing me, he would see that he has nothing to fear. I would die for John. And I hope you know that your heavenly father has died for you. Jesus is God in the flesh, the word of love in flesh. He is wisdom. Scripture says, Fear is the beginning of wisdom, but wisdom came, suffered and died, so that fearing him, you would see that you have nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but love is the end. One of the beautiful things about art, and film is perhaps the most persuasive of all the uh, art forms as it appeals to almost all human senses except maybe taste, unless you're eating popcorn. But the great thing about art is like Jesus' parables, we all take something different from the elements presented. I'm not gonna try to explain to you what you just watched, but I am going to go out on a limb and present it for your consideration like we're going to continue to present other things for your consideration and open up a media dialogue between ourselves so we can look at some of the things that uh, if you wanted to go verse by verse and you wanted to go through the uh, scripture beginning to end, uh, I think uh, having done it now, I can show you that the points uh, discussed in that little short art film are true. And uh, I think if we look at the historical precedent for what has been taught for hundreds of years, we can see uh, that it came from an, uh, a source of error and a source of falseness. If you want more information relative to what the Bible says on that matter, email us and we'll forward it to you, sean at aletheamedia.com. Please, in the subject line, write re requesting more film information. So I've stepped out of the closet tonight. What does it mean? Keep watching, and we'll address all this stuff over shows, uh, and then you'll know. But I hope you will take into consideration that if you've watched the show in the past, I have tried and will continue to try with everything I've got to present the truth. And I will continue uh, in this vein. I am willing to admit I've been wrong and made mistakes, and there will be mistakes to come. But... Um, uh, I won't make a stance unless I believe completely convicted in what I can read in the scripture all the way through beginning to end uh, that it is right and that they are true until I'm shown otherwise. All right, let's open up the phone lines. The number is, if there are any callers, Derek gave me the number at one time. 801-590-8413. And while the operators are clearing your calls to call me to repentance, threaten my life, uh, let's take a short minute and look at this spot.
All right, uh, got an email from John. It said, I've been watching your shows, enjoy them very much. I watched a segment where you had new name Noah. That's the guy who did the temple segments that we uh, went through and watched. And uh, he was in the audience one night when we were showing the films that he took in the temple, so I invited him on the air. He said, this writer says, I wondered after looking at his videos and reading his comments why you would ally yourself with him. He seems vile and evil human as I've ever encountered. He's what I would call an evangelical atheist. His sole purpose seems to be tear down Mormonism by ridicule and just leave them with nothing to cling to. Aren't we, as you seem to do, commanded to use gentleness and respect? Also, his assertion that the Bible is a steaming pile of blank uh, and that Jesus Christ is no more a savior than Bozo the Clown are more than disturbing comment. My apologies. No idea this man stood for those things. Um, he was in the audience, I assumed, and that's what happens when you assume, I assumed he was a believer. And uh, so we had him on the show. He's talking about going in and sneaking into LDS temples. And we, we got to see the temple ceremony because of what he did. But I in no way, shape, or form uh, support anybody who says that about uh, the Word of God or about our Lord uh, and Savior Jesus Christ. So I'm sorry to the audience uh, for having him on there. It doesn't mean I don't love you, new name Noah. I do. And let's talk about your, uh, your problems with Christianity if that's the case. Hey, Sean, I hope you're doing well. Jesus said to be the salt of this world. Salt is a preservative. Thus, Jesus is calling us to preserve goodness in the world and not just ignore what is happening socially, politically, and economically. The email goes on and, and rants on and on and on about us getting involved in politics as Christians because we are called to be salt and light. My response to that is if you're a Christian and you're called into politics, that's fine. If you're a believer and you want to go and fight against abortion, that's fine. My point is you just don't do it as a Christian in Christ's name, holding Christ's cross out there, because that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not that. The good news is Jesus came, he lived, he died, he resurrected again, and we can too. That's the good news. Be known for that. If you're a Christian involved in those other things, fine, but it's not a Christian issue. That's the only point I have. I would also ask, how are we salt and light to the world? Is it through our good deeds in the social community? Maybe somewhat, but it's also through our faith. It's also through our love, and it's not necessarily through our battles. The final point is, what did Jesus and his apostles do? We hold him up as our perfect example. We hold him up as someone to follow, someone to look to. What did he do relative to social evil? What did he do relative to politics? Nothing. So I follow him with King. Even though you have some ideas about why it's a Christian duty, I disagree with you. Gabe in Indianapolis, Indiana on line one. Gabe, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Thanks so much for taking my call. You're welcome. Hey, I'm, uh, I just want to call and let you know I really appreciate your ministry. I pray for, um, for you and the Mormons out there that are listening. Thank you. And I wanted to call and ask if you would be uh, able to clarify for me the LDS position on... Um, on the, on the president's infallibility during his, during general conference, what what specifically do they do they take as um, you know equal to scripture? I guess I've heard that at some places, but then I've read another article that say no, we don't actually believe that they are what they teach is infallible at general conference. Yeah, Can you clarify that for me. Yeah, Gabe, it's a really slip. It's a slippery slope because they speak from both sides of their mouths on that. Uh, yeah. you'll, you'll have apostles of the LDS church say, uh, thus saith the Lord must be said. At the same time, you have Ezra Taft Benson when he was a prophet or when he was an apostle say, uh, thus saith the Lord doesn't need to be said. And that anybody who speaks uh, uh, from the Holy Spirit, from the pulpit, who's an apostle or prophet is speaking scripture. So right. you, you can literally find supportive arguments for either side. And that's how they escape uh, being called on the carpet for their doctrine. Yeah, I, I think it's so tricky, you know, because, uh, you know, you can actually go to the BYU website and there's a search engine. You can look, you know, any phrases you want, and it's really nice. You can look back at all the general conferences and things they talked about. And, you know, if they really do believe that, you know, what the president says in general conference can be taken as legitimate truth, then they <laughs> that opens up a huge can of worms. Huge. You can find all kinds of unbelievable comments um but you know i i my my perspective i don't know what you feel about this is that you know 
as time has gone on, they've really sanitized their message. And, you know, I think that with, with the Internet and with, um, you know, global communication, I feel like they've become wise to this and they're not saying a lot of the wacky stuff that they kind of used to do because they know that people would know about it right away. You yeah. know what I mean? I do, and you're exactly right. And so I, 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 and I agree with you and your, your position. And I, I, uh, I just think that they're going to kind of become more and more just, uh, they're, they're going to appear just like this docile religion that is all-inclusive, and it's really going to be, I think, a vehicle that, that uh, Satan's going to use. But Absolutely. We've got to keep praying for them. I, I just uh, I love you a lot, Sean. You're my brother in Christ, and I'll keep, uh, keep you in my prayers. And... Thanks for the show. Thanks, Gabe. God bless you, and thanks for watching. Yep, yeah, bye. Okay, bye. We're going to go to John in San Antonio, Texas. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. John? Hey, Sean, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I've called a couple of times before, but um, I'm very intrigued by your coming out of the closet tonight. You you just very briefly gave us a glimpse. You, you nailed off like several topics that have always been things that have really given me, uh, you know, reason to pause and kind of, um, you know, think again about uh, what I hear from a lot of the evangelical community. So I'm very intrigued in, um, in where you're going with this. And uh, I appreciate you showing that video because uh, it's very thought provoking. Thanks, John. Um, the question I have, or I guess I have an observation. Um, the comment from your last caller about how they're cleaning things up. Um, I got to thinking about that exact thing a couple of weeks ago, and I came up with a parable, which is kind of the parable of the Church of the KKK, which is like, imagine that 100 years ago, the Ku Klux Klan was what we thought it was, you know, it's, you know, the preached hate and everything, and, and um, you know, the world reviled it for that. And then at some point, they decided, you know what, we really need to clean up our image. And so they get rid of all of their vile hatred and racial bigotry, and they they change the uniform so there's no hood anymore. They, they come and they turn it into a, a very family-oriented thing with just great messages of, of love towards all races. And they take all of the sayings of the early grand dragons and they kind of clean them up and, and, and they only teach the good, peaceful sayings of the early grand dragons. And, uh, awesome. you know, they go on and, and then you're born finally and you're born uh, a black child in a black family who was converted to the church of the KKK in this new clean environment. And, uh, you know, you listen to the words of your grand dragons and they're just these peaceful old men that you just exude love and you just, you know, you, you can't imagine why anyone would step away from this. You grow up and you give all of your time and you're, you serve a mission for the church of the KKK and then... One day you see that there's people that are leaving after finding historical documents on the Internet about what the KKK used to be. And you're like, why would anyone leave this great message of love? And so you go and you look and you see what the KKK actually was. You have to say, you know, regardless of what the institution is now, if what they were before reveals their lack of a connection with God and an understanding of, of the universal standing of men before him, yeah. um, then it just, you know, the whole thing falls. And so I've tried to communicate that to my family because everyone is, uh, that I speak with, they say, well, God, is, you know, the church is so good. It has such good morals. It's so clean. You know, any corporation can clean up and do a great PR thing and make great, you know, graphic design and everything. But, um, you know, to cover up a deception in that way is exactly what a corrupt corporation would do or a corrupt organization. So it's not, you know, how clean their face is are yeah. that, um, that tell the truth. So I just wanted to share that with you. And, John, um, that, that, that is epic. I love it. It's a tremendous analogy. Uh, and thank you so much. And it's going to help people understand what we're talking about. There's only one thing I would add to it. And that is if you, if the, if the black child who was raised in the church of the KKK went and researched the history and found all those old archives, if he went to the leaders of the Church of the KKK today and said, do we believe this behind closed doors, they would say yes. And that's the thing oh, about yeah. Mormonism. They have not let go of any of the old stuff. They believe it still and talk about it among themselves. It's just the public image they have cleaned up for. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hey, great, well, great I, insights I, there, John. 
Thanks. I wrote a little essay on it. If you church, if you search Google for Church of the KKK, it'll probably show up. Um, keep up the good work, Sean. I'm really excited with where you're going, and um, I'll be tuning in every week. Thanks, my brother. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Frank in Arizona. Frank, you're on Heart of the Matter. Frank? Hey, Sean. Hey, Frank. Buenas noches. Buenas noches. Que pasa, amigo? Quítate de aquí. Hey, I just want to let you know, Sean, that I've been researching the LDS organization for the last two years. Yeah. And uh, I've been praying about all this. And I just saw your little video clip with Alan Tunnell. Yeah. And I'm all in. I'm bilingual. I live in Arizona. And I already sent an email to Alan so we can link and start uh, helping him. Praise God. To what he's doing. Thank you so much, Frank. Praise God. Look at that. We just doubled our efforts okay. 100%. Hey, that is really good, Frank. I really look forward to uh, meeting you someday, and, and thank you for the work you're doing with Aaron. Keep up the good work, buddy. You too, my, you. you too. Love you too. Bye-bye. Hey, anybody who was here last week, did I talk about a uh, Catholic question about the Virgin Mary? Okay. Uh, hi, Sean. I have a question that you please answer. What do you think about the Catholics and their beliefs in the Virgin Mary? I don't, much, don't know much about Mariology, but the Bible, I do know that there's no biblical support for praying to anybody but God. I, I know there's no biblical support for honoring any man or woman in the way that they would marry. I know there's no biblical support for anyone mediating between humans but Jesus and uh, to God. And I, uh, we receive all things from God and no things that come from heaven, come from anyone else. Like Mary doesn't bestow favors. So um, I, I, I don't think the Mariology has any biblical leg to stand on, and I think it's just all tradition, unfortunate tradition of men. We have Emily on line one. Emily, you're on Heart of the Matter. Emily? No. Now pick up. Emily, you're on Heart... Hi. This is Emily. Um... I just found you a couple of weeks ago, and I just, I just love what you're doing, and, um, you know, in a, I guess I'm just kind of, my marriage, I just was really having a hard time, and I didn't know what to do, and my husband was raised LDS, and I was raised a Christian, and I was always raised to believe that, you know, it was, that, you know, the Mormon religion was wrong, and that it wasn't, it wasn't of Christ, and, and I just, I don't know, I just, I just felt like the only thing I could do was to become a Mormon to kind of save my marriage, and I did, and it just, I don't know, it just didn't work, and my cousin called me a couple of weeks ago, and she just said, she was raised LDS, and she just, you know, she just said, I just, this isn't right, I feel like this isn't right, found this guy who's doing these YouTube videos, and I think you should watch some of his videos, when I came across your videos, they just opened my eyes to so many things that, you know, I did my own research to be able to find what was true, and, and this is true. What you're teaching is so true, and it's so, it just touches my heart so much, and I just, I just hope that, you know, that you could really show everybody that the truth, and that, you know, that there is the true God, and He can save he can save us, and it, and it isn't going to the temple, and it isn't. And it's so hard because I always get it, I'm getting these phone calls. That, oh, you should go to the temple, and you should go do this, and you should go do that. And it just breaks my heart because I just, I don't know what to do now because I'm, I'm a new member of the LDS Church, and I just am so scared to say I don't want to go anymore because I, I don't want to be poisoned anymore. And, and I just don't, and it's just so hard because I just don't know what to do. Emily, are you still married? Yes. I see. Uh, and you have children? I have two. Uh, how old are they? Um, my oldest is two and a half, and oh. my youngest is one and a half. They're 15 months apart. I see. Uh, how's your relationship with your husband? It isn't good. He's been pressuring me to have another baby, and, and we've, been, we've gone through some really hard marital problems. And a couple of days ago, he was telling me he wanted to leave me again, and... It's been really hard for me. Okay, uh, uh, Emily, first, I'm going to talk to the audience just for a second, okay? 
Okay. Uh, we hear these stories all the time. This is what makes me scream at the camera, is these frickers will break up families. They will tell husbands, like Emily's husband, to, to force her to come back to this religion or leave her, threaten her with leaving, and they leave all the time. They would break this family up with these young children, this marriage up, over, over being Mormon or not. And so, uh, Emily, the best advice I can give is one, ask our audience to pray for Emily in Pleasant Grove. Two, Emily, you be Christ to your husband. You, you represent him in love. You don't talk to him about this stuff if it's, making, if it's dividing you. And you suffer right now through this period of time and let the Holy Spirit work on his heart, trusting that God will open his eyes in time. It's an act of faith. It is, it, now, you're gonna be tempted to fight. You're gonna be tempted to throw up all the facts you've learned about Joseph Smith, about Mormonism. And it's, all it's gonna do is create a wedge, my sister. Uh, so I would challenge you in the name of, of God, don't let this destroy your family. Those children love your husband and you equally. And yeah. Satan wants to rip you apart and he'll use religion to do it. But God will step in. It took my wife seven years to really come out and understand who Jesus is. It's gonna cause long suffering and patience on your part. But in the meantime, you read your Bible, you make war on the floor with the Lord, you trust him, you, you, and when your husband's at work, you tell your children about Jesus, and uh, you just keep going in that way. That's my advice to you, Emily. Okay. I know it might not be the advice you want. No, it, it, it really does help. And you know, I, just, I was just getting to the conclusion to just say, you know, I'll just keep going to the Mormon church. I'll just keep doing this to make him happy. But it just didn't, doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like, it just doesn't feel right. And I just feel like I, and that is, I just I need to pray. And I just need to keep reading my Bible. Yeah. And, and you just, you can stay silent. Going to those meetings is like going to an Elks club. Big freaking deal. It's like going to a myth makers club. Go and sit there, put earphones in under your hair, listen to Ravi Zacharias, just play the role. That's what most people are doing in there anyway. And just love your husband, I'm telling you. Respect him and he'll come around in time. Okay. If he ever, ever is willing to sit down and hear a rational voice who's been LDS, you just contact us through email. I'll be there. We'll have dinner, you and him and myself, and, uh, and we'll talk about it. Okay. All right? I really like that. Thank you so much. God bless you. Keep going, my sister. All right. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We got one minute to go. We have uh, a couple calls. Sorry. We're, I guess we don't. Not going to take them, but uh, we also have a lot of emails. Listen, uh, share the show with your friends. We've taken on a new venue. We're pursuing it through uh, DirecTV, and we're pursuing it through streaming. Uh, and it's going continue to continue to grow now by virtue of the Internet. But uh, Mormonism is growing uh, still through converts. How many are leaving, we don't know. But there is a dent being made. And it's lives like this that will bring families out, like in Emily's. Don't break up your family. Don't let Satan get in there. You trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, and he will direct your paths. We love you. Tune in next week as we continue examining Mormonism relative to biblical Christianity. See you next week.